while you are finding your seat, the one other announcement we wanted to put in front of you was our uh, small group launch that's happening right now. So on your seats, when you came in, you should have seen this uh, small group info cart that has a list of the various small groups that are offered here at the church. And I just want to encourage you, if you're not in a small group, to join one, because they are probably the primary way that we as a church are able to connect, right? On your bulletin, it shows those four core commitments that we have as a church, worship, connect, grow, and go. And so the primary way that we're able to connect to the church family is through small groups, right? It's hard to really uh, go deep into our hearts and in our lives in a, in a room with this many people. So small groups allows us in uh, groups of, you know, six to 12, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, to share life, to pray for each other, to read the Bible together, to grow. And so if you're not in a small group, really want to encourage you to consider joining one. This uh, page here has the different groups available, when they are, uh, where they are, and if you would like to join one, you can kind of write the number of the group that you're interested in on your connection card, and Pastor Lee will personally come to your house this week with a deli sandwich and help you join a small group, okay? So if you want a deli sandwich and a visit from Pastor Lee, put one of these down on your connection card, okay? All right, but in all seriousness, we'd love to get you plugged in with a small group. Uh, otherwise, friends, let's get going in our study of Exodus. Okay, open up a Bible with me to Exodus chapter 7. That's where we're going to be this morning, or where we'll be starting. Exodus chapter 7 as we continue this sermon series out of Egypt, just studying the book of Exodus little by little together. This is going to be week two in the, the plagues, okay? So chapter 7 through 11 or 12 or so, we see the plagues, uh, the narrative there, and we're studying that kind of thematically just for a couple weeks, saying, what are the, the big ideas that we're drawing out from these chapters? So Exodus 7, it's the second book of the Bible, okay? So uh, right towards the front, pretty easy to find. If you need a hard copy, uh, there are some on the seats in front of you, so feel free to grab one of those if you need a Bible, or you can follow along on your phone. But here's the deal. The words are not going to be on the screen today which means you're going to have to do a little work, work a little hard, because we're going to be moving kind of quick and, and flipping around, and so it's going to be like some cardio. You're going to get some cardio going. It's going to be great, but we're going to uh, see a lot in the text. So there you go. Hey, uh, with, with YouTube and smartphones nowadays, we all know that you can learn new skills easier than ever before. Right? You go on YouTube and look at dozens of how-to videos, how to change a tire, how to clean your couch with all natural, organic household materials. You can learn how to cook. You can learn how to grow your business. I actually went on YouTube this week and looked at what are some of the popular how-to videos. Some of them were how to stop procrastinating. So that was a good one. Uh, how to solve a Rubik's Cube. That might be a good skill to have. Uh, how to go on a date. Mm. How to fall asleep in two minutes. I thought that would be nice. It always takes me at least 10 to 15 or more. So falling asleep in two minutes, that would be a, a great skill to learn. And as I was on YouTube, I realized there were not only how-to videos, there were also another type of video, the how-not-to videos. How-not-to videos. Some titles were how not to talk to girls, uh, how not to drive your car, how not to stretch or exercise. And these were all videos that would show people doing things horribly wrong and the consequences of those decisions. People getting in car wrecks or using lame pickup lines on, on girls or doing things 
uh, all kinds of things the wrong way. Okay, examples of people failing in various areas of life. And the idea was that you can learn from those sorts of videos as well, right? The how not to examples. Here's what you shouldn't do in life. And it turns out that the Bible is actually full of how not to examples. Examples of how not to live. Examples of sin. Examples of failure. Examples of things that we should avoid. And what we're looking at this morning in the plagues in the book of Exodus, we see one of the clearest how not to examples in the whole Bible. As we look at Pharaoh and we see how he responds to God, he's going to show us here's how not to respond to God in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word that we can come together as a church and learn together about who you are. And so I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, help us have open hearts, teachable hearts, Lord. Would you uh, speak through your word? Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? Would you confront us, change us? Lord, uh, do your work in us today. Uh, We give you this time. We turn our eyes to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, friends. Well, let's look at chapter 7, verse 16, and remember briefly where we've been, okay? Chapter 7, verse 16 says this. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. Okay, we talked about this verse last week, and we saw how God says to Pharaoh, through these plagues, you will know that I am the Lord. I will show you my power. I will show you my sovereignty. I will show you that the gods of Egypt and all these idols that you trust in are really nothing before me. So God uses these wonders, these plagues from chapter 7 through chapter 11 or 12 to show us who he is, to humble Pharaoh, to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt and lead them to freedom. And so today what we're going to do is not focus so much on that aspect of how the plagues display who God is and his power and his glory. We're going to look at one of the other main themes throughout the text, and that is, again, how Pharaoh responds to God. Because throughout the plague narrative, we see that it's this showdown, really, between God and Pharaoh. And we see Pharaoh's pride, we see his stubborn, hard heart, and he's going to show us several examples. Here's what not to do when God intervenes in your life. Here's how not to respond to God. And the first example of this we see is in chapter 8. It starts in verse 25. So look at chapter 8, verse 25 with me. We're going to see Pharaoh start to negotiate with God. Chapter 8, verse 25. After uh, God sends the plague of flies, it says this. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God here in the land. Now, maybe when we first read that, we say, sounds reasonable. 
Pharaoh was saying, okay, Moses, people of Israel, you can worship your God. You can go and make sacrifices. But he says, it has to be here in the land. Now, remember what God's terms are. He comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go where? Out of Egypt, into the wilderness to worship me. Ultimately, we know they're going to go to the promised land. They're, they're leaving, right? They're leaving Egypt. But Pharaoh says, well, well, hey, you can offer your sacrifices. You can worship your God and all, but you have to stay in Egypt, okay? So I'll let you worship. I'll let you worship your God and honor him, but you have to stay in the land. This has to be a staycation, okay? We see how Moses responds in verse 27, a few verses later. We must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he, has command, as he commands us. So Moses says, no, we're not going to stay in the land. Pharaoh, that, that wasn't the deal. We're not changing our terms here. Verse 28, Pharaoh said, I'll, I'll let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in, in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. So Pharaoh's like, okay, okay, you're right, you're right, you're leaving, I get it, you're going to the wilderness, but... Just don't go very far, okay? Because I, I want to make sure that you come back. And again, Moses is like, no, that, Pharaoh, that's, that's not the deal. We see the same thing. Skip ahead, look, at chapter 10. Okay, chapter 10, verse 8. Chapter 10, verse 8. Here's the eighth plague with locusts, okay? Chapter 10, verse 8. It says, Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go, worship the Lord your God, he said, but tell me, who will be going? Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds, because we're to celebrate a festival to the Lord. So he's like, we're all going, Pharaoh, everybody, men, women, young, old, we're all going to the wilderness, okay? Verse 10, Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you. If I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you have been asking for. It's like, okay, okay, you can go, but just the men. This is going to be a, a road trip, a bro road trip, a broad trip, okay? Just the fellas, okay? Ladies, children are going to stay behind. You and the boys go have a nice time out in the wilderness, okay? Just you and the open road. You're not going to have to stop to go to the bathroom every couple exits, okay? No kids are going to be asking, are we there yet? Just you and the fellas go have a nice time. Trust me, you'll be glad you did it that way. Thinking maybe if the women and children stay, the the men will have to come back. But again, Moses says, hey, Pharaoh, that's not the deal. We're all going. Look at chapter 10, verse 24, a little bit later, after the ninth plague, okay? The plague of darkness. It says, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. See what he says this time? Okay, okay, Moses, you're right. Women, children can go too. I was wrong about that. But your animals have to stay behind, the flocks and herds. Moses again, no, Pharaoh, that's not the deal. Do you know how animal sacrifice works? We have to have the animals there with us in the wilderness, okay, to make these sacrifices. This is not going to work. And so what do we see Pharaoh doing? Bargaining, trying to cut a deal with God over and over again. He's He's trying to change the terms. He's trying to negotiate a, a compromise. Trying to obey somewhat. Sure, God, I hear you on these points, but, but I'm not going to allow 
this. But we see over and over again that God doesn't change his terms. And friends, sometimes we think that we can negotiate a partial surrender to God, just like Pharaoh. So you know what, God, you can have my Sunday mornings, sure. You can have my Sunday mornings, I'll, I'll be at church, but, but don't think that you can control my bank account, okay? Bank account is off limits. What I do with my money, off limits. That's still under my jurisdiction, okay? Or we say, you know what, Jesus, I'll, I'll trust you for eternal life, sure. I'll say, hey, you're the only true God. I'll acknowledge that but don't you go meddling in my relationships, okay? My romantic pursuits, what I do with my body, that's off limits. It's under my jurisdiction, okay? So you can't have that. Or we say, you know what, I'll, I'll, sing, I'll sing my heart out to you. I'll even go to a small group once a week. I'll even take a night of my week to study the Bible with friends, but I will not risk uncomfortable conversations with people who don't know you. I don't wanna to talk to my friends and family about you. I don't wanna share the gospel. What if they reject me? What if that's uncomfortable? What if there's strain in relationships because of it? So, so God, you can have my weeknight, but I'm not, I'm not going there with people. We go on and on, right? As, as followers of Jesus, we have to consider, is there, is there something that we're holding back? Is there part of our hearts that we're saying, off limits, God, that's under my jurisdiction still? Do we try to negotiate a partial surrender? God, you can have my time, but not my money. Or you can have my money, but not my time. Or you can have my Sundays, but not my relationships. Or you can have my weeknights, but not my weekends, or however you want to phrase it. Sure, I'll follow Jesus, but I'm not going to change X, Y, or Z in my life. I'm not going to change how I think about this cultural issue, this sensitive topic. I'm not going to change how I think about those choices. It's off limits. I've already made up my mind, Lord. Have you ever heard the good old hymn, I Surrender All. Yeah? What does it say? All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. We've changed the words, haven't we? What do we say now? Some to Jesus I surrender. Some to him I freely give. Everybody, I surrender some. I surrender some. Not a dry eye in the house, hands are raised, people are worshiping. I surrender some. This is what Pharaoh is doing, but you know, Jesus says it doesn't really work like that. says, this is kind of an all or nothing deal. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So he says, hey, if you, if you want a partial surrender, you want to hold back a little bit of your life, you want to try and save your life, then you're going to lose it going to miss out. But, but if you lose your life, you deny yourself, you give your whole heart to me, total surrender, then you will find true life. Then you will find true joy. Then you will find what I truly have to offer you. So you see in Pharaoh, 
an example of what not to do. Not to bargain, not to try and cut a deal, not to negotiate partial surrender. We see another example in the text of what not to do. We see it in chapter 8. Turn with me to chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 8. After God sends the second plague with frogs, chapter 8, verse 8 says this. It says, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Just get rid of the frogs. So tired of these frogs and their ribbits. They're ribbiting, and I'm done with it. So just take them away, God, and we have a deal. But then, verse 15, a few verses later, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart, and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Okay, relief comes. Frogs are gone. He's like, all right, I'm good. Changed my mind. Don't really need to let the people go. Look at chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 27. I told you, this is cardio. This is a workout. We're going. Chapter 9, verse 27. After God sends the seventh plague, okay, hail and thunder. Chapter 9, verse 27. It says, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Wow. Sounds promising, right? He says, I have sinned. What a thing to say for Pharaoh sovereign king of Egypt, deified in his culture to say, you know what? I've sinned. I'm in the wrong. The Lord is in the right, but a few verses later, look at verse 34. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the Israelites go just as the Lord had said through Moses. One more example. Chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 16. Chapter 10, verse 16. After the eighth plague, where God sends locusts. Chapter 10, verse 16. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I've sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord, your God, to take this deadly plague away from me. Same thing, promising. I've sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. Forgive me, he says. But once again, his heart is hard. He doesn't follow through. Nothing changes. So friends, multiple times in the text, we see what seems like repentance, what seems like change. He's going to obey this time. He's going to honor God this time. He's going to change his mind this time. But the relief comes and he doesn't follow through. So he shows us an example of, of false repentance. And notice what false repentance can look like. Pharaoh says some of the right things. Right? We, we read, he, he said, I've sinned. The Lord is in the right. I'm, I'm wrong. I have sinned. I need to change. Okay, Lord, your way is the way. But it doesn't last doesn't lead to anything different in his life. There's no real change that comes. And what we see in Pharaoh then is with this false repentance, he shows more 
sorrow over being in a mess than the sin that caused the mess. Okay? He shows more sorrow over just being in a mess than over his sin that has caused the mess. Okay, think about that. He's uncomfortable. There's frogs everywhere. There's hail and thunder. There's, there's plagues. Things are not going well around him. And he's angry. He's met his match. He wants it to stop. He wants relief. But then the plagues stop and he's, and he's back to his old ways. Okay, so he's, he's upset about his circumstances. He's upset about the consequences of his sin, but not necessarily the sin itself. Pastor and author Jonathan Lehman has talked about the, the signs of genuine repentance. Genuine repentance. And he said the number one sign is this, where we name our sin as sin, and we don't spin it or excuse it, and further we demonstrate godly sorrow, which is to say a grief chiefly about the sin itself, not just a grief about being caught or having to deal with the consequences of sin. Pharaoh didn't do this. Right? Pharaoh was worried about the frogs and the locusts and the hail and the thunder. He wasn't worried about his sin before the Lord, his sin before God. And so we have to look at our own lives and say, you know what? When our life is in a storm, and we feel caught in a mess of our own making. We have to ask the question, the serious question of our hearts, are we more worried about our sin or are we just annoyed by the frogs? Or we have the frogs all around us of maybe strained relationships or, or embarrassment that we feel for having been found out or the loss of privileges or financial consequences that our sin may bring. Are we worried about the frogs, those things on a surface level and just want it to stop? Or, or are we genuinely, genuinely convicted in our hearts? See, there'll be times where God wants to get through to us so he's going to let us feel the weight of our sin. He's going to let us feel the consequences of our sin and the devastation that it brings. He's going to let things crumble around us so that we might turn to him in humility, so that we might recognize our need for him. But sometimes in those moments, we try to fool other people or we try to fool ourselves with this false repentance. And there have been times where I've watched people in life. Again, as a pastor, you get to kind of see this a good amount sometimes. Remember, people I've been close to, sometimes people I've been praying for for years that they would turn to the Lord, and they haven't. And then a crisis happens in their life, and they reach out. And they're like, you know what? This might be it. And they, and they show signs. Okay, actually, I want to come to church now. I want to join a Bible study. I want to see how God has something different for my life. And there have been times where I've thought, wow, this could really be it. This could be what God is using to, to, to wake them up and draw them to himself uh, for the first time. There's promising signs. But then I've watched how for those people, sometimes things go back to normal. They kind of get out of their crisis, get their feet back under them. And they go back to life as before. I'm sure many ministers have seen this. See, genuine repentance and fruit only shows itself in time. Right? It's easy to say the right thing, 
to seem remorseful at first, but the fruit of true repentance will show itself in time, where real change comes in our lives. See, the good news is that when there is genuine repentance, the grace of God is there for us. That's the good news of the gospel, that when we turn to the Lord in genuine repentance, with humble hearts, seek his forgiveness, he gives it to us. He's gracious with us. He's kind with us. Instantly. He doesn't make us earn it or, or work for it. And so I'm not saying that, hey, it's gonna, you got to really build up to it, and then God will be nice to you over time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, that transformation, that change in your heart can happen instantly, but it will take time for it to be visible sometimes. It'll, it'll take time for, for you and for other people to see, is it, is it real? Is this the real deal? It has to result in real life change. But for Pharaoh, again, it was just, it was just false repentance. It was just saying the right things to get out of a mess. And all of this we see with Pharaoh leads to the, the kind of last example of how not to respond to God. And this is probably the thing that we remember about Pharaoh the most. It's repeated after pretty much every plague. We see his hard heart. All right, look at chapter 8, verse 19. This is after the third plague of gnats. It says, The magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Or if you skip ahead to chapter uh, 11, the final plague is threatened. Chapter 11, verse 9. It says, the Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. So Pharaoh continues to say no. His heart grows hard. And for the Hebrews, the heart was not uh, just an organ or a, a place where emotions are felt. The heart was the center of the will. It was where we think, where we choose, where we desire. It was the center of the person. And so Pharaoh in his heart grows, he grows hard. And he's proud and he's stubborn and he doesn't yield to God. At the core of his being, he says no to God. And his hard heart, it's mentioned about 20 times throughout the book of Exodus. It's repeated a lot. And what's interesting is you see, sometimes it says, we've talked about this before, sometimes it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And other times it says, like in the text we read, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And it's speaking about the same phenomenon. And it's showing us the overlap of the sovereignty of God and the hand of God. And at the same time, human responsibility in Pharaoh's own doing. And so we see Pharaoh, he's, he's hardening his heart to God by saying no over and over again. And we've looked at this before, how, how our hearts can grow hard today when there's revelation without response. Okay, revelation without response leads to a hard heart. So when God reveals himself, when he shows himself to us, when he shows us who he is, and we're convicted by the Spirit, but we, we do nothing. There's no response. Our hearts grow hard. 
Revelation without response leads to a hard heart. I think it's easier for us to say no the next time. Calluses build up on our heart. Calluses can be good in some situations. If you're learning to play guitar, for example, the strings hurt your fingers quite a lot initially. I've tried, I never got past that part. But then eventually, if you stick with it, right, calluses form on your fingers. They grow hard so you can play without pain. And it's actually a very good thing. Or if you work with your hands, you're in construction. You start out with soft baby hands. But then calluses form. And you're able to use your tools or do your job without pain because your hands grow hard. Or some of you, if you don't do work like that, like me, your, your hands remain baby soft, which can be a good thing, can be a bad thing, okay? But in this instance, again, it's, it's good to have calluses on your hands with guitar or when you're working or when you're digging a ditch or doing something like that. But when we're talking about our hearts before the Lord, hardness, calloused hearts are dangerous, horrible, deadly even. And so I want to encourage you, friends. I want to encourage you. I want to beg you as your pastor, as your friend who loves you, to not harden your heart against the Lord. And what I mean by that is to not ignore God's voice in your life. Sometimes we get good at ignoring the voice of God. I think about my daughter. She's two and a half. She ignores my voice a lot. Okay, Zoe, don't do that. Zoe, don't do that. Zoe, don't do that. Sometimes she just drowns it out. She doesn't pay attention. Sometimes we do the same thing with God. He's speaking, he's speaking, and over time, when we continually say no, it gets easier and easier to say no. And here's the deal. I'm, I'm not worried that, for most of us, I'm not worried that you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and go leave your family and lead a life of crime. Okay, I'm not worried about that for you. But what I am worried about is that, over time, we just learn to say no, and say no a little more, and go to church the next week, and hear another sermon, and hear another Bible study, and do nothing with it, and just keep saying no in countless little ways so that over time our hearts grow hard we've drowned out the voice of God in our lives. So today, friends, I want to challenge you to counteract that process, to not let your heart grow hard and instead say yes to God. In some way, today, don't go to sleep tonight before you say yes to God in some way meaningful way. I'm not saying you have to move to Morocco and sell all your possessions and become a missionary and serve the poor and join, uh, you know, where Mother Teresa was over in Calcutta. Okay, I'm not saying you have to do that, but is there some way you can say yes to God today? Say, Lord, I, I don't know entirely what my future needs to look like. I don't know all the choices I need to make to honor you, but today, today, I, I do not want my heart to grow hard, Lord, so help me say yes to you. Maybe it's in something small. Maybe it's when you go home, say, you know what? God, I know you want me to love my spouse. I know you want me to love them. I know I need to be less selfish. Help me today honor them. Can I, can I do some more dishes? Can I take out the trash? Can I do something meaningful that would communicate to them, I love you, I'm for you? Just something and say, Lord, it's small, but I just want to remain open to you. I want to be a better spouse. Maybe it's with your kids. I want to raise kids that know the Lord, but sometimes we get so busy running around all the time. We don't often sit down as a family. So you know what, tonight, we're going to pray together before we go to bed. We're going to read a short Bible story. Just, just something, Lord, it's a small step. Where I, just say, I want to be open to you and lead this family 
how you want me to. So Lord, help me. Maybe there's some conversation you need to initiate with a friend, with a neighbor, with a coworker. I don't know, maybe you need to ask someone for forgiveness. Maybe you need to write that card or send that text or send that email or make that call today. God's been putting it on your heart and, and prompting you towards it. It's been easy maybe to avoid. Let today be the day where you say, God, I'm going to respond to you. I don't want to grow, grow hard in my heart towards you. So help me, Lord. I don't know what that needs to look like to you. Find a way to say yes to God today. And, and, and for some of us, this means putting our faith in Jesus for the first time. Some of us wouldn't consider ourselves followers of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning, a neighbor, a friend invited you, or you, you showed up on your own. You've said, Lord, I think I've been avoiding you. I think I've been running from you. I think I've been trying to ignore you, or I, you know what? I've been trying to bargain with you. I've been trying to cut a deal with you, keep some of my own independence, and I'm too tired to keep that up. Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. I've sinned. I need a savior. I need forgiveness. Jesus, would you forgive me? Jesus, would you change my life? Full surrender, Lord. Have your way in me. And the good news, again, is that when we do that, when we repent and trust Jesus, there is grace and forgiveness and mercy and transformation. We're given new hearts, a relationship with the Lord, hope now and forever, eternal life with him. No matter where we are today, um, well, let me say this. We do have a chance as a church together to respond. And we're going to do that by, by coming to the table and celebrating communion together. We do this twice a month as a church to remember Jesus and remember the gospel. St. Augustine once said, God gives where he finds empty hands. And God gives where he finds empty hands. And friends, empty hands, that's the posture, that's the opposite of Pharaoh. Right? Pharaoh has a hard heart. He's trying to negotiate and bargain and cut a deal with God. He shows false repentance before the Lord. The opposite of all that is a humble heart, a soft heart, open hands, saying, Lord, have your way. And communion is a chance for us to do that, to come forward needy, dependent, open, celebrating Jesus and what he's done in our lives. And so we're going to come, we're going to take the elements, the bread and the cup, representing the broken body of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus on the cross for you and for me. We're going to celebrate our Savior together. Uh, the band's going to play in just a minute after we pray, and I invite you to come forward. There's two stations, uh, whichever is easier for you to get to. And we practice an open table here at FBC, which means uh, even if you're, you're from out of town or this isn't your church home, if you've put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, uh, we invite you to participate with us, to come forward and celebrate Jesus with us. Would you pray with me? Father, we, uh, we come to you with, with humble hearts, with open hearts. Uh, we come to you needy and dependent, dependent upon your grace. We know, Lord, that we could not save ourselves, but we celebrate the fact that in Jesus we have been rescued, we have been forgiven, we have been given new life and purpose and joy and hope. And so, Jesus, you are the hero of the story. And so we come to you 
We come to the table to say thank you, to worship you, to praise you together. And we come, Lord, with empty hands. And we ask you to guide us, Lord, as we seek to follow you faithfully. Help us not have hard hearts like Pharaoh. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.